Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Well, glad that you decided to come back to listen to Victoria Curie's story. Just a little bit of a review. If you haven't listened to the episode, you definitely need to go listen to part one because you'll be a little bit lost in part two. But her abuser was her husband and he physically abused her while she was pregnant. She is in an undisclosed location. And so we talked a lot about the abuse part. And we also talked a little bit about the martial arts part of it. She's a martial artist and she has had to make the decision not to fight back, even though she can, in order to protect her child. So this week we're going to learn more about her story as to how did she get out? When did she finally get free? How did people treat her? We're going to discuss a few different tips and tricks on getting out of your situation, some resources for you or someone you love, and what not to say to a survivor or somebody that's in a difficult situation. We're going to find out how is her daughter doing today. I got to meet her after we finished recording, but a wonderful young lady. There are a lot of lessons and valuable information in these two episodes, so I hope that you will share with somebody who needs this information, if, if not you. I know you guys know some people that are in a really horrible, hopeless situation. And Victoria is going to be the first to say that there is hope and that you are not alone. And we are going to collaborate with one another in services. She has services that I don't have. She's a paralegal. She, she knows how to do a lot of legal stuff that I don't know how to do. So as I always say, you can reach out to me for help. You know that. You know, we're here to help you with resources. If I don't know the answer, I'm going to find it for you. If you just need a chat, I'm available too. That doesn't cost anything. You can email me at diana at dswministries.org. We can chat. We can set up a Zoom meeting, talk, and you need to vent. So I know I've said this before, but sign up. To be a part of my email list. It's just to keep in touch. Don't forget, we're going to have a group meetup on Zoom, our very first one, which is coming up on June 25th. That's a Saturday. It will be 10 a.m. Arizona time, so you can Google what time that would be in your time zone, but I do need you to register for this event so I know how many to expect. And the registration link is in the show notes if you're watching. You can also register if you're signed up on my email group. So it's gonna be fun, it's gonna be casual, just getting to know each other. And I wanna meet you. And yes, you can invite a friend if you want. 
is for all those that are listeners of the podcast and supporters of DSW Ministries. We are going to have these meetups every month, and it will be the last Saturday of each month at the same time, so we can plan that. So if you miss this one, be sure to register anyway if you're not going to be at this first one, because it will remind you that our meeting is coming up. I hope to see you guys all there. Okay, that's that's all the housekeeping I have for today. I'm not going to repeat Victoria's bio. That's in the show notes. That's in episode one. So here we go. Here's my conversation, part two, with Victoria Cure. He was on narcotics. and He was on a lot of them uh, because of PTSD and his injuries from being overseas. And so he was on oxycodone and um, Ambien. I can never remember the name of the thing um, to help him sleep. And he would pop his oxycodone like it was a Tums and they didn't phase him. And he would just, he seemed almost like he got more powerful. And when he would get on them, because he got so much more angry and he would take those and then take some Ambien and he would get it up. I've never dealt with anyone on Ambien before. I don't know if you've had experience, but like he had illusions and like, oh, yeah. he would get up and say, I got to scrub in. I got to be in surgery in an hour. And I'm like, what is he? What is hallucinating? He yeah. He had hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I've never been with anyone who'd been on Ambien. You know, I didn't know what he did. He, <laughs> he drove on it. Like he would mm-hmm. get in the vehicle and drive. And I, I was just mortified at the fact that this medication did such a, horrific reaction and this is what he would do i mean and then he would not remember it the next day i I said you know because he one day he came in and he was like why did you turn my blankety blank vehicle around blah 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 and i was like i i didn't turn it around Mm -hmm. and he's like yes you did you don't tell me what i did and i always maintain this level of my voice my voice tone because if i escalated he escalated you know and and I just said I didn't turn it around because he never even left, left the keys where I could get to them. And he said, well, I didn't drive it. I didn't move it. Well, he had moved it the night before. And he goes, don't try to tell me I'm crazy. And I said, I didn't try to tell you you were crazy. You got up and left in your sleep. And he's like, no, I didn't. And he did. But I mean, it was, you know, the ambient and the oxy and he would mix them together and chase it with a beer and just things that you I've never experienced. So I don't know if that happens normally with people take Ambien, but. Oh yeah, that's very common. And um, thanks for pointing it out because your story, it's like you had no options. Throwing the stuff out at you, but um, you had no options and the nay- the naysayers are going to, and they did tell you, well, you could have done this, you could have done that. But your your situation for a very long time was, was hopeless. We're, I'm going to ask you a little bit about the spiritual realm. And we talk about the spiritual part of our life because, you know, we, we are a soul and we have a body. That's just the way, way it is. That's human beings are structured that way. And abuse affects how we perceive God. That's the biggest thing. So tell us a, a little bit about your faith and how did the abuse affect you with God, I mean, did you blame him or did you hate God? No, Um, I truly believed it was, it was God and prayer that kept me here without question. 
there were times after he beat me so bad, I would lay on the floor and I just thought I shouldn't have come through this. I, and, you know, and there were times, honestly, where I was like, just let him kill me already. I can't do this anymore. Take just me now, not, Jesus. <laughs> right. You know, just leave me with my unborn child. Let us go together. Don't make me go through this anymore. You know, and I always had that in the back of my head that, you know, my grandparents gave me my first Bible, but that God only gives you so much that you can handle. And I'm like, my back is breaking. And I kept saying that, like, I, my back is about to break here, you know, help me out. And I really didn't because, you know, every time I go to the hospital, I had the best doctors, I had the best OBGYN, they documented everything. The injuries coincided with the photographs that coincided with the medical records. They wrote uh, statements and sworn affidavits to the injuries and things of that nature. And they were, you know, they were very much in fear of what was going to happen. They even called his command and complained. Nothing happened. Again, no surprise. Um, and one time we were in there and he hit me in front of my doctor. And my doctor was like, that's it. And she threw him out. And then she called the command. And, you know, I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, so, and she's like, let me pull you out right now and put you in the shelter. And I said, I will be safe because how long am I allowed to stay in a shelter? You know, I got to go home and get my stuff. What am I going to do? I don't have a, an escape plan prepared. And I said, last time I tried to leave, he shot and killed my dog. So what am I supposed to do? I can't just go to a shelter and it be okay. You know, and she said to me one time, mm. have you considered terminating the pregnancy? I said, do not ever say that to me again, or I won't come back. Like mm. you never say that to me again, because this is my child. It's not his child. Mm. That is my child. And I am not going to consider, and I will not talk about this again, period. And so it was really honestly, and there were times I was coming in and out of consciousness, laying on the floor. And I did, I prayed, just let him take me already. You know, why am I being, and I asked, why am I having to go through this all the time? Why, why is this continuing? And, and, you know, I am your child. I'm your servant. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why is this continuing? You know, why? And I didn't understand. And, and then literally I would start to feel her kick. Like I'm here too, mom. I'm here. What a life-changing moment. And you're like, okay. All right. I mean, it doesn't, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, you know, cause I would look at him with such disgust. Like, how are you even a human? I don't even want you in the same human race as me. Like, I just don't, right. I don't understand. And you know, and then he would, after he would get so abusive, he would say, I'm so sorry. Why do you make me do this to you? And you're, you've been there, you get it. And I know a lot of people who are listening and those that by the grace of God have not experienced this, they don't understand. But when they do that, it absolutely goes into your mind and puts you in a tailspin. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing as um, when you hear every day, you're ugly, you're unattractive, nobody's ever going to want you. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody feels bad for me because I am with you. You begin to believe it because you hear it every single day. Well, that's how it was with him. And it was, why do you make me do this? You know, I I don't want to hurt my wife. Why are you doing this? And it was like, I got to the point, I was like, what am I doing? What, why am I, you know, and I was always nursing an injury. I did not understand. I tried everything by the book that he wanted and it still didn't happen. I got, um, people didn't understand why I allowed him to have extramarital affairs. And I told you, I, I own my mistakes. That to me wasn't a mistake because if I'm allowing him, cause he's going to do it anyway. Number one, number two, if he's out there, 
then he's in that courting period where he's going to be nice and charming and, and things like that. And I honestly, to be a thousand percent transparent, I really didn't care. I cared that he wasn't home beating me and my unborn child. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's and so that, that sounds horrible, but that's the reality. That was my reality. You know, go ahead, go out. Because also if he's out with someone else, and he's fornicating with someone else. He's not raping me. Yeah. And yeah. I got such scrutiny because I was like, yeah, go, go ahead. Because any, nobody understood my reality of why I didn't want him there. You know, well, maybe if you just pleased your husband, he wouldn't have to go out and then come home and beat you because of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Want to work overtime? Sure, honey. Go ahead and work overtime. Yeah. You want to go out with the guys? Sure. Go ahead and go out with the guys. You want to go out of town for a, a trip? Sure, go out of town on a trip. I've I've been there. I didn't want my abuser in my house. Right. So you I would it. I would leave, you know, I would go to the library, I would sign up for overtime, I would sign up I'd join the choir, go to the gym, I would go anywhere else where he wasn't because the same reason. I didn't want to be abused as soon as I got home. That's when the abuse starts. Right. Yeah. I don't blame you for it's his choice to cheat on you anyway. It's not like you brought home a girl and you, you know, hey, go at it. <laughs> right. It's he made the choice to go out and cheat on you. Right. So glad you said that. So it, it definitely got worse. You were beaten within an inch of your life. You landed in the ICU, which you've already mentioned. And we were talking about the, the God thing. Uh, you were given like a two percent chance of living, so you're pretty much a miracle at this point, right? Yes. <laughs> you and yes. your daughter. Yes. So, did anybody believe you? Absolutely. Like it, you know. I kept going back to his command and and showing his command. Saw him break my nose at one point. Um, his command had the audacity to show up at the hospital, and I screamed and yelled. I absolutely did. I told him to get the hell out of the room. I told him, excuse my French, I didn't want them there. I said, I hold you as accountable as I hold him because I told you this was going to happen. The nurses said, you can't be here. You're, she's a too delicate state. you got to go. Like, I was like, get out of the room. And, you know, I was using explorative. I admit it. I'm not, you know, I was cursing. Get out. You know, the situation uh, merited it. Yeah. And I was like, get out. Uh, they made him leave. Uh, they made both of them leave. And I said, I hold you just as much at fault because I told you he was going to kill us. And so they ended up taking us by emergency C-section after being there for a long time. And they couldn't stop the contractions. And they were doing the steroid injections in my back. And I was getting heparin and Lobinox injections for a clot that I got from him. And they couldn't put in the filter because it goes through your groin and I'm pregnant. So they can't do that. I can't do Coumadin because of the fact that I'm pregnant and Coumadin cannot be given to someone who's pregnant. So this whole thing goes on. And, and luckily, like I stated earlier, I had the most amazing OB and she brought in one of her partners. And when they go to take me back, I said to her, I'm going to do this without getting emotional. I'm going to try that. If something happened to my daughter, they no longer had permission to treat me mm. because if something happened to her, I didn't want to be here without her and there to let me go. And she just started crying. She was like, you know, you've been through so much. And, and for you to say something like that, I'm like, I mean it. Well, next thing I know, I wake up and I'm in recovery. And immediately I'm like, you know, where is she? What's going on? What's happening? And, you know, everybody's like, well, right now the doctor come in. I'm like, no, 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 no. What do you mean the doctor's coming in? You know, and I'm laid out um, in, the, in the bed and doctor comes in and says, you know, we have the, 
NICU team here trying to work on her. She's having some breathing issues. And I was like, take me to her. And they're like, you're not strong enough. And this goes back and forth. They're like, we got to get her stabilized first. So then I don't know, maybe 45 minutes later, but to me felt like a lifetime. I see and hear a helicopter. And they tell me that a children's hospital helicopter had been called in to life flight her to another major city or to a major city because we were in a small town to get her into the care that she needed. And so literally I saw her in an incubator and I was like, I'm going. And they're like, you can't. I said, I may, I may, I'm leaving them out. I've got to be with my kid. And they said, you won't make it past the parking lot. You're not well enough at this point. Mm. So I laid there holding a pillow because after a C-section, they gave you a pillow to hold to because your abdomen is so tender and sore and they want you to start coughing to try to build up the muscle again. And I listened to that helicopter go off the rooftop and I felt like every part of my life just died, just every part. And I couldn't be with her. And they told me that I would probably be in the hospital several more weeks. And I said, oh no, no, (laughs) I have to get to my kid. So I asked him what I had to do and a couple of days gone by and they told me I had to be able to get up and walk. So I just kept getting up as much as it hurt. And I finally got up enough energy and I walked a little bit and they're like, okay, we'll start tomorrow. Nope. I'm going again, I'm going again. I'm going again. And I had the sweetest oldest nurse and she just kept rooting me on and um, she helped me walk around. And then when they discharged me, I was in a wheelchair because of the clot and all and the injuries. And my, outlook of it was if it's not broken to the point where it's medically hurting me in my life, leave it alone. I need to be with my kid. So all of my other stuff that needed surgery, you know, I said, set it and I'll deal with it in a little while. I'll deal with it later. I need to get to her. Like they told me I needed to have surgery on my shoulder. And I said, no, put it back, put me in a sling. Let me go. Like I need to be with my kid. That's number one. You know, this is not important at that point. So once I got to the um, ICU, I stayed with her. Mm. You stayed with her, and this is the crazy part, is that you had to go back and live with your abuser because you didn't have anywhere to go. The I did monster. not have my stuff together. Yeah, I didn't have yeah. a place to go yet. My action plan was not in place. I mean, what kind of preparations would have been helpful if you had them in place? What would you have needed? Um, I, when I finally did get them in place, it, it did let me get out and I never went back. You have to um, know where you're going. You have to have something stable, especially because I knew when my daughter would get out and have to be somewhere stable because she was going to be on all this medical equipment. I needed, I needed to obtain as much proof as I could because he kept getting away with everything. And I had no idea what was going to happen when I left because he kept threatening that he was going to take the baby from me. And that was not going to happen. That was not going to happen. So um, I ended up months into the ICU. Um, my biological parents finally met my daughter and um, they finally offered me shelter. And wow. I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. When my daughter and I down the road went through this, there was a, a horrible situation where we went home or to the house with him, the monster. Um, and he hurt her and we ended up back in the ICU. So after that happened, after that happened, uh, my family offered for us to come stay there. And so we did, and I never went back, but I had 
more evidence, more proof um, of any and everything you could possibly imagine. I hired a guardian ad litem, which a lot of people don't know what that is, but it's basically your child's own attorney to go through and decide what's in the best interest of the child. Mm-hmm. Cause I was going after the rights. I wanted the rights terminated and no one supported me in that. They thought he should be held accountable and no amount of child support was going to make me or her ever feel safe. Mm-hmm. And he was never going to get her alone. Nope. No. Cause then I would have done some of what you said, you know, I was no way was in it. Nope. So uh, we went after everything and, you know, guardian ad litem's, very, very thorough. And my hat's off to them because they really research you. They research the defendant. They go into depth about everything. And I learned a lot about him that I had no idea. Mm. Yeah, I have this horrible story of when um, the monster actually tried to kill your daughter. Yes. He turned the machines off and... He occluded her trait. That's the technical term. That just I mean, that oh, he means, put his finger over it until she stopped breathing. I mean, what kind could, of what kind of person does that? A monster? Yeah. A monster. You can name him with a whole bunch of adjectives. And you were on the phone with nine one one because you didn't know that he did this, right? At first. No. no, he did not tell me at first. I was cleaning her feeding stuff. It was about maybe 10, 12 feet away. And when I went, she was hooked up to everything and her like little carrier kind of thing. And she had her apnea and her pulse ox and everything. And they were all on. She was happy. And I went over there and turned the water on, started cleaning the equipment. And then he just said, she's blue. Like it was nothing. And just in a normal voice. And I ran over there and she was, my daughter was blue. And it was unbelievable. I immediately started uh, the training in order to go home from the NICU. You have to be certified and trained in whatever's going on with your child before they'll let them go home. And so you get tracheostomy certified, you get whatever the situation is. So you know how to use the equipment inside and out, how to clean it, maintain it, take care of it. If she gets an occlusion, how to emerge a trach change, all of these things. So you get trained on all of this. And mm-hmm. so immediately I just tunnel vision, start working with her and uh, I grab the phone. And I immediately called 911 and I heard this cocking of muzzle behind me and I look up and he's got a gun to my head. And I knew if I hung up that phone, we were both good as gone. It was just over. And he came up to the hospital later, hours later, and told me how dare I continue to put that bratty child in front of him. And it's my responsibility and duty to take care of him. And he was tired of her being put in front. So this was his way to take care of it. I mean, that's, that's appalling. That's disgusting. That biological daughter. Okay. Who, who does that? No, no, no rational human being does that. And he wasn't rational. (laughs) No. And he sounds like he's like, uh, what do you call that when you have multiple personalities? Um, schizophrenic. One minute, you know, he wants to be with you and the next minute he doesn't you know, he doesn't want anything to do with you or. He honestly was just the best way to describe him was like a light switch. Yeah. He just would flip just like a light switch. One minute he says this thing, another minute he says another thing and they're polar opposites. Yes. Uh, so you're in the hospital and the authorities, did they try and help you at that point? No. Nobody tried to help you at that point. I call, Well, I called his command and told them what he did. And they put him into anger management. 
and said he needed to go to counseling and he blamed it on the stress of the situation and they what well we we disciplined him he got an article 15 whatever and you know what do you want what do i want so at that point i I was i was a tigerist mom i was so mad and i went and uh, went to court for a temporary protective order. I asked for a military protective order, an MPO. Um, and so when I did all this, I didn't have a doctor in court. And they told him that he could visit her with an officer present. And so he, when he would come up, the first time he came up, he brought his girlfriend. And I was like, there is no way that that skank is coming in here. This is not going to happen. And I didn't let him in because he was like, well, then you come talk to me. Okay. And people didn't understand that. And I was like, we'll stay in the main hall. I'm not going into a room with you and shut the door. I'm not going into mm-hmm. a stairwell with you. I'm staying in the main hall. Um, and that's what I did. And he wanted me at that point. That's what it was about. And nobody had ever taken him on. And that was a big thing for him. Um, and when we went to court, my ex, now husband, went with me. He did go to court with me um, and he went in uniform. And when the monster saw him, it was like, you, you could just feel what's going on there. And he, the monster got up to go to the bathroom. And to this day, I don't know. And it's like one of those seven wonders of my life. Um, my husband now got up and went and followed him into the bathroom. And I have no idea what was said in there. And he won't tell me. Like to this day, he won't tell me. He's like, oh, there's some things you don't need to know. Probably that he, it, well, I mean, we could read between the lines. Well, you know, yeah, you know, absolutely. I'm going to kill you. Know, you. He's not going to tell you that because he right. doesn't want you to be responsible. But Right. But, I mean, I still wanted to know. You'd want to know, too, you know. And, and so <sighs> yeah. um, the last day of his visitation, the judge made it clear that if you stay over one minute past the time that you're allowed you're going to jail. And so literally his time was ending and he's like, are you going to extend my time because it's the last day? And I said, absolutely not. Bye. Get out. And he, and he goes, what do you mean get out? And then he started to escalate. And I said, you got to go. It's time to go. And then he bowed up and I was like, go ahead, go ahead and do it. And he just kind of looked at me and then all of a sudden people are looking around. Now they have his picture. I'm so shocked, but it's so surprising that these hospitals are trained for these situations because they happen more frequently than we have any idea. Mm-hmm. So they had his picture at every nurse's station. The unit was locked down. Um, they kept a guard on the unit floor. His picture was at every entrance. Um, so, and then they had her and I in a room that had a back door. So if we had to get out quickly, we'd go out the other door. They wheel her out the other mm-hmm. door. And I was dumbfounded at the fact that they just had this down pat. I mean, they got it. So when he was getting ready to leave, he bowed up at me and he's like, I want to go in there and give her a bath. And I said, you lost your mind. You lost your mind. Yeah. And he bowed up at me. And when he did, I was like, go ahead. One more hit. What are you going to break my nose again? What are you going to punch me in the face again? One more broken jaw, dislocated shoulder. Okay, go ahead and do it. But now I'm not pregnant and I'm going to fight back. And That's when I right. said that, I stood up to him. I swallowed everything I had within me to let him know go ahead and then then we're on a whole different playing field and i let him know and i said i will heal from whatever it is that you just throw at me and i'm used to your heavy hand 
you're not used to mine. That's right. He looked at me and I was like, go ahead. And I said, come on, what what are you scared of now? Why why all of a sudden are you backing down? You know, because I'm not, I don't have a baby in my stomach anymore. And I was like, come on. And right. And like security's getting called and they're like, Hey, Victoria, we need you. And I'm like, Oh, she's fine. There's a nurse in the room with her. There's an officer right there at the door. And I, I mean, cause they could see him, you know, getting really angry. And I'm like, come on, what are you waiting on? Are you not the tough guy anymore? You know, because I'm not pregnant. And I was like, you're going to bow up at me, but then what? You know, if I say boo, are you going to run? Are you going to piss on yourself? You're just going like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the matrix. And, you know, and, and he just looked at me and I was like, what are you waiting on? And I said, are you going to piss yourself or what? And so he just looked because this isn't over. And I said, it don't have to be. Come on. And he wouldn't. And I said, if you hit me first, I promise you I'm going to lay you out on this ground so fast your head will spin. And he just... He's, do you know who I am? Yeah, I know who you are. I'm familiar with you. I've met you once or twice. He's never seen me talk like that to him before, ever. And I said, I told you from inception, I wouldn't fight you back because of my child. She is safe and secure in that other room. This is me and you. Go ahead and jump off your lily pad. Let's see what happens now. And he didn't hit me. He didn't hit me. And part of me was mad because I was like, Hey, I really want to, I really want to test out these skills I've been acquiring. You know, and I hate to say that because part of me was mad. And I was like, you know, I have all this in me built up because Mm. of what he's done to the two of us. And I won't hit him first, but I'll lay him out in self-defense quicker than crap, Mm -hmm. you know? And I made it very clear. I'm not hitting you first, but he just, this isn't over. Great. And so he left and I'm like, you know, you're on that high adrenaline and then you just, ugh, you know, and oh. I go back in there with her and there, there you go. So I mean, what, what is it really like on that adrenaline dump? I mean, how did your body react? I mean, you, on the outside, you were like, you know, superhero mode. Yeah. On the inside, was, I felt like I was going to throw up. Yeah. Because probably I was shaking. Just, uh, no, I had it pretty good. I had yeah. it together pretty good. It was just like, you know, I kept saying to myself in my mind, this SOB wants to go bathe my child <laughs> by himself with the thing closed. Let him try to get by me. Let him try. Are you kidding me right now? Like it was just this very, I just felt like that really powerful person that I lost for that whole time for the very first time, you know, to protect my child. It was just forthcoming. Like, all right, this ain't happening. And it was just very powerful. Yeah, it's not it's it's not like the movies. <laughs> no, and then after he walked out, literally I felt like every bit of me had just drained out. And I was like, oh, I gotta sit down. Like, you know, I wanted him to see that tough exterior. I wanted him to see that I would fight for her and fight for me. Mm-hmm. But then when I knew he was out of sight, I was like, I think I'm gonna be sick. I'm I gotta go sit down. Like this is just awful. And then I felt like I had been sweating, I had perspiration coming down my face, and I I, I was just like that exhausted me. Mm-hmm. That exhausted me. Yeah, because you're on an adrenaline dump. You're that's what that's for. You're depleting your your adrenals. Uh, that, I love that story. That's my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with my situation, I thought, okay, even though he didn't hit me during the marriage, everybody tells you they're, they're verbally abusive and they're 
throwing things and threatening you, um, it's, it is eventually going to get to the point where he is going to hit you. And, and when I left my abuser, nobody, had, nobody believed me that he was abusive because outside he was this great person, this great community leader, church leader. And then I almost wished he had hit me because then I would have had some, I would well, have had something right. for you. It didn't, it didn't work. I would wish I would have had some bruises and um, broken bones to show people that, yes, he was an abusive person. Thank God my parents believed me. My my three closest friends believed me. They're the ones that helped me get out, but we still believe that. We're not violent people. No. But when, when did you feel like you were, like, finally free of him? Not until... The divorce was final and the termination of rights had gone through because I just kept fighting. I wasn't going to stop fighting for our safety. And so the rights were terminated during that process. The courtroom was closed because it involved a minor. And um, the judge gave me, you'll love this. The, the, the judge said to him, she's requesting a permanent protective order, restraining order for her and her daughter. How do you feel about that? And then she's only doing that. She's scared of me, blah, blah, blah. And I said, your honor, I would like to make a statement. And he said, okay, I'll, you know, I'll allow it. And I said, your honor, I will never seek him out. I'll never go to his place of employment. I will never go actively looking for him. I have been given this opportunity to live my life and I don't want this drama and negativity in it. And that is my daughter. And I looked at, at him. I was like, my daughter, my daughter. And I'm here to say that I will absolutely never seek him out. I'm not going to go looking for him. I will never go after him and harm him. However, if he violates these orders, if you grant them, then I have the right to stop the threat and defend myself and my daughter because she's unable to protect herself and fight for herself. And at that point, I will stop the threat and I'm not pregnant anymore. And I just want that on court record. And he looked over at him and he goes, do you understand what she's saying? And he was like, no, I just hear all this hot air. And he goes, well, let me explain this to you. And he goes, this isn't criminal court. So there's nothing I can do. And I understand that you've already been taking the criminal court over all these charges. And he said, so how many times do you think you hit her? And he was like, if I hit her once, it was 200 times. And he goes, so kind of like an alcoholic, if you really want to get drunk, you have to drink more than you're used to in order to make a difference. And he was mm -hmm. like, yeah. He goes, so you basically trained her to accept your violence is basically yeah. what you're saying. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, what? she's saying is that she'll never go after you for revenge but if you come after her or her daughter then she has the right to defend herself which means she can kill you if you mm -hmm. violate people. yeah and i just kind of looked at the judge and i'm kind of looking over at my attorney and and he and he said to me i want you to take a minute and i'm just going to allow this minute for it to begin your healing process because he understands that if he violates these orders he better have his will ready. And <laughs> I was just like, huh? You know, and, and I said, I just want to put it on court record. So if something ever happens, it, you know, they'll know I'm not going to do anything. And so he said, I want you to use this as a step in your healing and your journey. And so he granted it. And then we got the, the rights terminated. And um, that's awesome. When I felt freedom. That was a, that was a happy day. Yes. Uh, but he is still there free. 
Even when you had so much evidence against him? Yes. He's still out there walking around. Hopefully he doesn't know where you are. No. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Is he never going to go to jail? I, I don't know. I know that he, I did not know he was previously married. I had no idea. And he had physically assaulted his other spouses. Um, and actually one of the scars that I thought and was told happened from combat was actually a self-defense scar from her. And what did she do? She stabbed him when he put a shotgun in her face. Oh. And she is no longer alive. Oh, he killed her. I can't speculate. I can oh, you don't know the whole story. Or... I, I know she got into drugs to help cope with it, and she's no longer here. That's all I can say. Oh, that's horrible. So you weren't the first one. Or the second, or the third. Wow. And he's still out there running free. My understanding, I, 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 I don't seek him out or anything like that, but the last time I heard he was on wife number nine or ten. Gotta be kidding. No. My ex-husband was was horrible, and he's remarried, and I have thought about contacting her and saying, I don't know what you're getting into, but all my mentors are like, you know, she's made her choice. Did any of those thoughts come into your head that maybe yes. warn these women? Yeah. One of the ones he was cheating on me with, I really wanted to warn her. Then that we had seen some of the correspondence that the guardian at Lightham had gotten. And it was, I'm so sick of Victoria and all the drama she's causing us, fighting us on all this, blah, 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 blah. They got married and they got divorced because of my, um, and so it's kind of like, I didn't want to be like, I tried to tell you, but you didn't want to listen to me. But at that point, honestly, the only thing I cared about was my daughter and I, I, I didn't. You only have so much bandwidth, right? Yeah. I know that sounds horrible. And now I advocate for, to women and families. But back then, I mean, I had so many injuries that needed attention. My daughter was, um, had basically life support. She had a tracheostomy. She was hooked up to CPAP at night, which is life support. It goes onto the trach. And then she started with, you know, 15 therapies a week when, you know, just learning how to do everything. And, and that was my priority was her and seeing her thrive. Mm. So we're going to get into the, the, the happy part of the stories here. I know we've, <laughs> we've talked about some dark stuff here. Yes. Um, how's your daughter doing today? She's amazing. She's, she's my everything. She's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And the love of my life has gone through the process to adopt. So, yeah, we all want to hear about your, your current husband and how you guys finally got married after all this time. <laughs> um, we stayed in contact with each other. We stayed friends. Um, he blamed himself for this for a while. And I kept telling him it wasn't his fault. And um, like I said, we stayed in contact. And then uh, we decided he had moved to a different state and decided that we were going to see each other. Well, um, when he saw me, of course, I had my daughter with me. Um, he went up and hugged her first. And I was just melted. And I mean, he had come and seen her in the NICU and um, he hugged her first and she never knew of a dad figure, but she latched onto him just so, cause she's always heard about him. Um, and one of the first mm -hmm. things she said is my mom told me that if anyone was ever going to be allowed to be my dad, it would only be you. And he was like, what? And I was like, thanks for that one. Thanks so much for <laughs> throwing that one under the bus. And so 
you know, literally that's where it started. And then he, he asked her permission to marry me, um, which meant the world to me. And then he asked her permission to adopt her and it was beautiful. And, and he gave her a gorgeous tree of life, um, necklace and he included her up front in the wedding, um, which was just breathtaking. And, uh, it's been absolutely amazing. We've never had a single fight in 20 20- either. I know. That's why we connect so well. I mean, we, we don't fight. He's my best friend. Um, we do everything together. They do everything together. My daughter and him. Um, it's just an unbelievable difference. It's night and day. It really is because it's just, this is what was supposed to be from, from day one. This is the family I always wanted right here. And that's what we have. He's a survivor of abusive situation too, right? Yes. Maybe not the same kind. No. But no less important. Right. That's right. um that's amazing that you guys finally got back together. It's like a fairy tale. <laughs> um tell me significance of the tree of life. Where does it symbolize? Well, I never had a tattoo until after all this happened. And I didn't want to see, you have to realize with all the surgeries I've had, all the surgicals, operations I meet, I've had to have and needed, and all the scars he gave me, I really was a, a basically just a big scar from top to bottom. And one of my scars goes from my wrist, up my forearm, up my upper arm, my shoulder, and down my back, where he took a knife and dragged me through the house with it. And I didn't want to look at that all the time. I didn't want to see it at all. I didn't want to have it in memories of that. Um, so the upper part of my arm, I had a wonderful man tell me, you know, that he designs tattoos to cover really her, like horrific scarring and that it would be, you know, something we would talk about. We talked about it and it was ended up doing the tree of life. Um, and it ended up in the moon of it is our silhouettes and it is the, the tree of life and there's new roots being planted and it's the rebirth of something beautiful. And so that is how the tree of life comes in. It's a whole new, a whole new way. And, you know, I my daughter's that. name is, is Faith. So um, it is just the symbolization of planting new roots, starting over. And that's where it came from. And uh, I think that's really cool. The, the tattoo artists are out there, like, helping people that have these horrendous scars to feel better about themselves and to hey, this is a new chapter in my life and, you know, I can get a whole entire sleeve and <laughs> yeah, I, I love that about tattoo artists. Um, on my back, behind my shoulder, it, it was, we, there was nothing we can do. It was um, a scar from the stabbing, one of the stabbings and it, it was almost like a, a zigzaggy kind of thing and he said I want to do something with that you gotta let me do it and he said I'm gonna put it in my portfolio blah 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 okay and he made the most beautiful rose coming to life and it's the top of the um stabbing scar and it has rain coming from heaven down and it's nurturing it and you actually see the rain petal I mean the the rain little bubble things all over the flower and um it had my the stem of it is the scar from the stabbing and it says beside it never a victim always a, uh, never a victim always a fighter right beside it and it i mean it was just it's beautiful that's awesome how can we help 
those that are going through these horrible situations to get out? What would you say? Uh, there's a lot they can do. I first want to thank your listeners for listening. And if they're going through this, they're not alone. Um, they, even if they consciously don't realize it, subconsciously, they know that they still have an inner light within them because they are taking the time to research and learn what they can do to get out of their situation. Um, I've had women say, I'm not worth it. And I say, are your children worth it? Because what they're learning is that it's okay for a man to treat their mommy that way, or it's okay for a woman to be treated that way. And if you have a son that that boy is learning that that's how you treat a, a woman, because that's how daddy is treating mommy or daddy or mommy's boyfriend is treating mommy. And they're learning that that is okay. And then they end up being bullies at school. And it just is a horrible cycle. And we mm. need to stop the cycle. We need it to not keep going. Yeah. That they are worth it. They are survivors. They're thrivers. And they need to realize, and this is such a strong thing. And I want your listeners just to take a second and, and really listen. They have survived 100% of their worst days. Mm -hmm. And let them think about that. No matter how bad it got, they survived it. So they are stronger than they know. Mm -hmm. And that will really impact people if they take a minute and go, she's right. Like my yeah. worst day, I survived. And it's not mm -hmm. a competition. It's not, well, he hit me once. He hit me 10 times. So it was worse for you. No, I don't care how many times it was. It's not acceptable. It's not right. Period. That's We're right. all in it together. So like my website has social groups where a safe haven, bully-free, judgment-free environment so that you can come be with other people who've been through it. Like I don't have a psychiatry or psychology degree. I've had most people I've helped tell me that I have a doctorate in the hard knocks of life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like you, but um, you're amongst other people. I, I strongly suggest that everybody gets professional counseling. They need it. It, it will help in their journey. But so does having a sisterhood of people who get it and mm -hmm. you walk that, that walk um, that if you get your act together in regards to making a plan, which I help do on the website and you get me, you don't get somebody who has never been through it. You're not going to get, you know, somebody else. Um, we give you the resources that will help start this process for you. We even have a mover in every state that will move you for free. And wow. We have all different kinds. I also do legal document preparation because there's things that a lot of people don't take into consideration. Like if you're in the hospital, you should have a medical POA. Why? Mm -hmm. Because if you get to the point you're incapacitated and can't make a decision, your medical POA becomes effective and you make it say somebody else. Let's say hypothetically, I'm in the ICU. Something happens. I'm un incapacitated. He gets to make all those decisions on me and there's nothing mm -hmm. anybody can do about it. So let's just say I made you my medical POA. Well, guess what? He can't make a decision for me. You can. And that, and he won't know about it until that happens. And it's on record at the hospital. They don't, it's not something you have to worry about him finding in the home. Mm -hmm. You give it to your doctors, you know, you, they put it at the hospital. So you don't have it in the possession of where you have to worry about him finding it, but it keeps you safe then you could do paperwork that allows, say, I would do paperwork for you that would allow you to have custody, of, you know, temporarily of my daughter while I'm incapacitated. So you're taking him away from her. You're, you're getting that out of the equation. There are things that can be done most people don't realize. And that's what we want to be able to help do because everybody's worth fighting for. And you have to decide that 
you are a person of value. You're a child of God. You deserve respect. You deserve love. And you are not the cause of the abuse. That's the hardest hurdle to get over is I deserve to be treated like a human being. (laughs) Yes, yes. How about those that are not survivors? Those that are maybe, you know, family, friends. What are ways that we support survivors? Uh, Things not to say. A lot of times, and I'm sure you know, because I I was told the same thing. Well, why did you leave? Why did you stay? Why did you make him angry? You know, I actually talk to these people very, very seriously when I talk to them. And it says, you know what? And they're like, this would never happen to me. I would never allow a man to put his hands on me. And you, I hear it all the time. And I said, let me ask you a question. Good for you for never being in this situation. But let me ask you a question. I want you to think about your very worst day of your life. Very worst day. We've all had them. No one's perfect. Everyone has one. And I want you to imagine that your support system, your inside support circle, your family, your partner, your parents, whoever it is, belittle you and degrade you so badly that you just want to curl up in the fetal position in a corner and just not just melt away. That right there is how you're making her feel on one of her better days. We're mm-hmm. already being degraded. We are already being belittled. We already have no self-worth, no self-esteem. We already feel like we are worthless pieces of nothing that don't deserve any better than we're already getting. Don't add to the problem, add to the solution. Be a part of our solution. Either Offer us shelter, offer us the ability to help us get shelter. If we're ready to talk and we need to be heard because we are silenced, listen to us, let us vent, let us talk. If we're not ready to talk, be in the room with us so we don't feel like we're alone. That helps so much mm-hmm. to know we're not alone. Yep. You know, don't tell us how to tie our laces if you haven't been on our journey in our shoes. Because you don't know. And I had one lady I just couldn't get through. And I said to her one day, I said, I understand you haven't been through this. I get it. I understand that you are critiquing your daughter. And I see the pain in her face. And I see the embarrassment in yours. She is devastated. You're humiliated. But let me ask you a question. Let's say you've been blessed and you've never been in a a situation of violence. Let's say, God forbid, one day you find out you have a brain tumor. What are you going to do? I'm going to go to the doctor. Are you going to go to a podiatrist? <laughs> why would I go to a foot doctor? Well, why are you telling your, your daughter that she's garbage? Why are you telling her what to do and what you wouldn't do? That's just like going to a podiatrist for a brain tumor. You need a neurosurgeon. You need to go to a brain surgeon. So that's where you go. So then you want your family to support you on your journey. Support her. Support her through this journey. And then it resonates with them. You just have to find something that they can resonate with. And that will help make a difference. I mean, you want them to turn around and embrace that person going through it. I mean, the the best way I can describe because I've had someone say to me, what is it like living in an abusive marriage? The best analogy I can give you is being a chronic asthmatic living in a smoker's room trapped in your own hell and there's no way out. That's a good analogy because I've got asthma. And you're, I mean, you're panicking because really you can't breathe. Right. We got to be supportive of anybody that's in a survival situation. Don't judge them. Sit with them. Say, I believe you. Right. We're, we're under the scrutiny enough. We have to prove it 
up and down and they don't. So just give us that support and that guidance that we're not getting anywhere else. Yeah. Don't ask dumb questions like, and we've all heard these before. What are you wearing? What did you do to provoke him? Right. Don't say that stuff. You know, if we ask you to take our kids for the weekend, maybe that's the time she's going to try and get out. She doesn't want her kids there because the rate of escalation of violence is much higher when they feel like they're going to leave. You know, I always say if you have kids and you don't have anywhere to send them, make sure the kids are as far away from you and the abuser as possible. And no matter what happens, you tell those kids until you go to them, they don't come to you. Because if he hasn't started hitting those kids, and he's being physically aggressive to you, it will come a time that he will hit those kids. Yeah. And if he's at that point, keep them far enough away and say, I will come to you, stay far away. And then I tell the women, stay away from certain parts of the house. Don't go anywhere near a staircase if you're upstairs. He can throw you down the staircase. Don't be anywhere in the kitchen. Pots, pans, rolling pins, you know, knives. There's so many things in there that could be a weapon. And they're like, where in the home do you go? That's, that's really hard to say, but if you have like an open floor concept, try to stand in the middle where there's nothing in arm's reach for them to grab at that he can use as a weapon. You can't make your house completely weapon free, but you can make it as, as safe as you can with what you can. Yeah. Nobody ever thinks of the, um, the iron uh, yeah. that you iron your clothes with. Hide right. your iron and uh, don't leave it in a place where your abuser can grab it. I've known people that have been tortured with a iron. Yeah. So those are really great, great tips. And yeah, all this is like hindsight's 2020 and we realize that, but hopefully some of the tips that we give you um, will be helpful for you right now or somebody that you love. And Um, you're not alone. That is so important to know that they're not alone. People get it. No one's going to judge you. They're going to help you and they're going to listen. Yeah, so the listeners know you can contact me. I've got resources that we've talked about before on the show. And you have resources too. Victoria is going to help you guys too. Absolutely. You wrote a book. Who kicked first? I like it. Thank you. So you started writing your book. So you have, is that the only book or you have multiple books? That is the only published. That was my memoir. So I ask your listeners to please give me a pass on my grammar because it was never supposed to be published. Um, But it is the 1000% factual story of what I went through. I have a book that is going to be out soon that I made as a guidebook that literally goes through the steps of everything you need to do in order to obtain a TPO, to do a restraining order, to do a criminal trespass order, um, in order to, you know, get out. And then I even detail in depth kind of the, well, what is this? And, you know, what is that? And the difference in verbal and emotional abuse and things of that nature. Um, And I use a lot of my own experiences as examples in it so that it's almost like your workbook of how to get out and get free. Yeah, I definitely want one of those. (laughs) You definitely want those books. Yeah, we have community. We mentioned community is extremely important. So everybody knows we've got Men in the Soul. That's free. We'll set you up with a group. Um, You have a community too. I think it's your Facebook group. 
Well, I have the Facebook group is called a contagious smile support group. When you invite, when you add yourself into it, there are some questions and it's because I vet you. I don't let wolves in. I want to make sure you're who you're supposed to be. There's not going to be any men that are abusers in there. If you're special needs, I want to know the situation and what's going on so that we can be there together. And you're part of our family. The website offers support groups um, for survivors of domestic violence and special needs. And then we do social groups and then life skill classes so we can help get back up on your feet again. I help you write your resume if you need it. Um, Things of that nature, I can help job search with you. It's really, uh, you're not going to be by yourself. You're in it to win it. Yeah, you've got a ton of resources on your your website. Thank you. Uh, It's uh, contagioussmile.com, is that right? Yep. Good job. I got got it right. My brain's working right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You have your podcast. A Contagious Smile. Every smile tells a story. Come share yours. And yeah, you guys can tell us that we like to talk and I'm going to be on Victoria's podcast. Just if you didn't think that we've talked long enough today, (laughs) we're going to talk some more, (laughs) but I'm going to be in the hot seat this time. So yeah, listen to Victoria's podcast, go on the website and, and listen to find out all the resources, reach out to Victoria we want to provide resources and, and give them to you to make your life better. Yes. You get out of that horrible situation. So I'm glad that you were on the podcast. Thanks so much. I know we, we talked a long time. We just... <laughs> <laughs> and everybody put up with our cultural references of the 70s and 80s, and there'll probably be more. <laughs> I'm sure there will. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.